On this week's episode of Slashes, we're talking about Orca, and instead of a hidden track, there is no Orca-stration in this episode. Instead, a spooky story by Camp Arawak. Like the killer whale. I had already pressed record, so funny <laughs> enough, you started it. You ready? Do it. What? Do the intro. I don't know what the intro is now. It's community property. Half the intro is yours. Nah. Orca, the killer whale, is one of the most intelligent creatures in the universe. Incredibly, he is the only animal other than man who kills for revenge. <laughs> This is Slashers, a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. My name is Jake, and with me for now and forevermore, my love and better half, Sierra. Wife, how are you this evening? Good. So when I told you I wanted you to guess an episode, I bet you had no idea I'd pick a movie from 1977 that five people have seen. Uh, no, but I've come to expect that from our movie-watching experiences, so... This was not as surprising. I actually enjoyed this movie, so it wasn't as, you know, taxing as some of them have been. I told you, it's classic for me. I could definitely understand why people would have a differing opinion. But I think one of the funniest things in the world is when I was having a conversation with my dad on speakerphone and I asked him about Orca and he's like, yeah, but and I just saw this look from you where you like knowingly nodded like, ah, it makes sense. <laughs> That the fisherman who loves schlocky movies would pass this on to his son. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I don't anticipate that anybody has seen this movie. And I really have a feeling that our listenership is going to go down for this episode. But quite frankly, I couldn't care less because I really like this movie. I feel like it's worth, the th- what was it, $3.99? $3.99 on YouTube. $3.99 yeah. rental. Yeah. I would have rented it again. For sure. We almost had to because you fell asleep yeah, the first yeah. time. <laughs> that was not uh, because of the movie. Yeah, that's because you're pregnant and you chase a two-year-old <laughs> and you were working. And yeah, no, I, I, you get a pass. Don't worry. But I just need everyone else to know that because I am I actually really didn't like the movie. It's fun. And it's like it's relatively well done. And the stuff that doesn't work is like laughable and like kind of quaint. So shall we get into it? Let's do it. Now, I have some explaining to do to you. Now, I want you to know that if you look at any of my my laptop, my phone, my browser history, and you see something called Oedipus Orca from the same year, I, I did not look that up. But if you look up Orca from 1977, there's a tremendous amount of media and stuff for an Oedipus Orca, which is apparently a skin <laughs> flick, which I was too afraid to click on. Ooh. But I just want you to know, I didn't <laughs> click on it and it scared me because I didn't know if it involved proto furries or something, but we're moving on. <laughs> it was called... Oedipus Orca? Yeah. That is amazing. I don't think that uh, furries <laughs> existed before Babs Bunny and Space Jam, so I take that back. Now, I was really intrigued by statistics on this one. I did some oceanography statistics mm. or oceanology. Ography. Marine zoology. That's what I did. <laughs> and anyway, what I ended up looking up was to see if there were any Orca-related deaths that were recorded in human history. There are no, in human history, recorded wild orca deaths. There has been one instance where a human has reported being bitten, which, I don't know, it happens, I guess. But the only fatalities, there have been four in captivity, three of which were related to the whale Tilikum, who was in the Blackfish documentary. Right, right. So, I mean, if if we really want to compare the kill count of this movie to Tilikum is almost comparable. So basically what I'm saying is that this movie is based on true life in reverse because Tilikum killed people after the movie came out. Gotcha. There you go. I also tried to see if there was any link to the whales in this and the whales and free. No, no free willy. But But that's what comes up. I mean, every time when I was searching for it, it's like Orca. Free Willy. I'm like, these are very different movies. Yeah. One is a child's movie. One is not. One's a child's movie. One is where a whale's child falls out on a deck and like the saddest thing I've ever seen. Jesus. But it was presented as being based on an author, Arthur Herzog III's 1976 novel of the same name, released on September 3rd. Now, here's the thing I kept finding. No evidence that it was ever in production before this movie. 
And so what it seems to be is that Dino De Laurentiis, the producer of this film, and something of a schlockmeister, he was basically the Italian guy who was like, hey, that movie worked in America. I can do it Italian and cheaper. <laughs> so what he would do, it seems that because Jaws was based on a novel, he wanted this movie to be based on a novel. So he commissioned it. And so there are certain discrepancies in it. It's largely believed that Herzog did a novelization based on an early draft of the script before Robert Town ended up coming in and doing rewrites. Now, Robert Town, he wrote Chinatown. I think it was Mission Impossible's one and two. A, a very accomplished writer in his own regard has some certain interesting history of his own. In fact, in a Washington Post article titled The Heady Sunrise of Robert Town, they actually just plainly addressed this movie and he refused to comment, but it seemed to be well accepted. This is how deep your boy went. That was an <laughs> article from December 3rd, 1988, when we were a whopping one year and four months old. Yeah. But in the book, there are some discrepancies. Captain is really not likable. Uh, he refers to women as bitches. With Umalak, he's basically just racist. It's kind of problematic, and he's not in, uh, anywhere near as endearing. But also, I think it makes the end a little bit easier in terms of the narrative of what happens. Spoiler alert, he dies. Now, Herzog's <laughs> widow said, the uh, this is a quote, the 1977 film Orca is based on Arthur's book Orca. The film and book have different endings. I recall or Arthur saying he had the idea first before Jaws, as it sometimes takes years for him to start and then finish a book. Jaws came out in 1975, and as I did not meet Arthur until 1981, I only have memories of his talking about going to actually see the filming. Arthur loved animals and got a kick out of my birds, one of which would sit on his head cleaning each hair while Arthur made the sound of a kiss and the bird made the kiss sound back. It delineates, but you could see this rambling answer basically doesn't say shit. She says he said his idea came first. Right. I have no evidence of that. In fact, I didn't meet him until six years after Jaws came out. And also, and he loved my bird. Yeah. Four <laughs> years after Orca came out. So she's not a credible witness. And obviously, she's a widow at this point. So she's not going to say, hey, the man of my dreams who kissed my bird, who is who kissed both my birds is dead. Wow. <sighs> I'm going to besmirch his honor and basically call him a fraud and a sycophant. <laughs> but he did have another movie that some of our friends might know. He wrote a book called The Swarm, and that was a 1974 movie. So kind of interesting. Now, the whales were from marine land of the Pacific and marine world of Africa, which is a Six Flags Discovery Kingdom. And we had kind of played a fun game of like spotting the change between the orca in the tank and ocean generic shot and transposing the orca and everything. But by and large, given the budget, this is pretty fucking impressive what they were able to pull off, right? Yeah. Now, I have to concede when Jaws came out, it had a smaller budget of about $7 million. Granted, it came out a couple years before, but I don't think that hyperinflation really <laughs> played into effect in that few year span. Shall I get into the statistics for this week? Let's do it. So shot on a budget of between $6 million and $17.5 million. And I saw you look at the notes going, before that a lot of the time goes into the negotiations for distribution rights. Films used to stay in theaters and drive-ins and everything much, much longer when people didn't have Netflix because basically you were consuming movie media by going to a movie. So sometimes things would stay in theaters for a period of years or cheap theaters were way more popular back then. Like, for instance, the Star years? Wars years franchise. That's crazy. Star Wars, each of them would stay in for years. And so one of the things they would use in negotiating how much you would get for distribution is the cost of the movie itself. Mm. So sometimes you would greatly over exaggerate the budget of the film to basically try and sell it as, hey, this is a primo picture. Other times the reverse. So it's a little complicated and a little bit weird, but we know that in any capacity, it was a flop. It grossed about $14.7 million. And the opening weekend, it only grossed $3.5 million from 775 screens before ultimately getting you know, to where it was at. So do you think that the budget was somewhere in between that 6 and 17.5 or? Yeah. Okay. And so if I can, opening weekend, July 22nd, 1977. Here's the competition. This is really bad. <laughs> the Hills Have Eyes came out on the exact same day, which is the West Craven classic. Right. On the 17th, you had The Deep come out. The Deep <laughs> was written 
by the same dude who did the original Jaws, Peter Benchley, and it starred Robert Shaw, who played Quint in Jaws. So big time, yeah. right? It oh, That movie opened to $8 million on 800 screens. So really, you're talking about 25 screens different, and it more than doubled what this movie pulled in. Well, and that's hard. I mean, I really feel like that's unfair because people had like Jaws was an established movie. People exactly. loved it. They knew the actors. So, it, you know, I feel like it was going to be a hard fought battle. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. There's no there's no way around it. That just wasn't a great weekend to open. Completely. And when you things you see when you're looking at the old, really negative reviews, almost every single one compares it one for one to Jaws and says it's derivative and says it's bad and says all these things. And really, I mean, yes, it's derivative. But the fact is, it's built a cult following because the farther we get from that one to one comparison, right. the easier it is to digest. Because the fact is, people didn't say, oh, well, the Meg is a ripoff of Jaws. Mm-hmm. Well, 47 meters down is a ripoff of Jaws because mm-hmm. Jaws came out a fucking millennia ago by right. comparison. Now, I will say the Deep did get a Marvel Comics adaptation that I'm kind of excited about finding. But frustratingly, none of their licensed comics are on Marvel Unlimited. So if somebody wants to send me a PDF, slash spot at gmail.com. <laughs> also, the week before that, The Island of Dr. Moreau came out, which is haunted and one of those cursed movies. So. I've never seen that one, but. Oh, it's it's a thing. And hmm. the remake is a thing, too. But I, I appreciate the story. It's very convenient. You know how I was talking about how many theaters The Deep and this movie opened in? Mm-hmm. For frame of reference, those movies, both over 700 theaters. Mm-hmm. When Star Wars came out this year, it came out on only 32 screens. Can you believe how quaint that is? This year? Of the same year of 77. Oh, this, oh, oh gotcha. Not 2020. I was like, I was like mm. That seems wrong. (laughs) I think that there was 32 theaters in our area that were showing. Jesus Christ. And they were all sold out. (laughs) And And now they're all closed. Yeah. And everybody was complaining the whole time. Like, oh, the rides of Skywalker is so bad. I can't wait to see it again so I can find more things to blog about. (laughs) I was funny because I was just thinking about how you were saying how movies have been out for, you know, or they'll stay in theaters for a while. And then I was thinking about how we were just complaining about <laughs> with the the pandemic that is happening, how our local, the only theater that is open, which is our drive-in theater, has had the same movies for literally two months. Yeah. So <laughs> and they haven't done anything to like get old film prints. Like I've, I've said a million times, the two things that would make me happiest for that theater to do the drive-in would be one to do UFCs and two would be to just get like some janky okay, old grindhouse but film. Think about the... Uh, Old films, fine. Not UFC. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong city. Wrong. That's that's <laughs> like a good point. Demographic. That's coming from a teetotaler who's never had a drink. I imagine <laughs> that it would be a debauched mess. Yes, for sure. Now, this movie, 92 minutes long. Oh, oh, it feels so good. It feels so right. <laughs> Lately, we've done a few movies that just went a little too long. And Jakey Poo, like when we did Silent Hill last month, I fell asleep. Well, I think it was three times in two nights. I could <laughs> yes. not handle that movie. And this movie, I wanted to just start it over again by the time it was over. I and- was so surprised when you did that. <laughs> it cracks me up. You're like, okay, I'm going to take a nap. Well, I'm like, babe, just go to bed. No, no, I just need to finish this movie. <laughs> Because I couldn't have that <laughs> shitty movie in my brain for another day. <laughs> and what's funny is like, I bet I would blow people's mind by how much I love this crappy movie with yes. a clearly fake whale over so much of other cinema. And that's not just to be a contrarian. This is just like my brand of schlock and mm-hmm. shit. Movie was directed by Michael Anderson. He is pretty famous for doing movies, The Dam Busters, Around the World in the 80 Days, Logan's Run. He did The Sea Wolf, which was made for TV, and an adaptation of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, also made for TV. Now, this is where Michael Anderson gets cool AF. Are you listening? <laughs> 1977, there were production notes of a movie called Nessie that was supposed to be co-produced by Hammer Films, who we did the whole retrospective on over the summer, right? and Toho, fucking Godzilla Toho Company. <laughs> it was going to be Loch Ness Monster versus fucking Godzilla. Not really, but it would have involved basically the same kind of setup where, oh, an irradiated Loch Ness Monster is terrorizing the world. And there were posters that went out and it was referenced in magazines. The pro, but there's some frustration there. So in one of the trade magazines, I think it was Variety, 
They had a promotional poster that said it was going to be directed by an individual named Brian Forbes. Then they also had reference of Andrew Y. McLaren, Lindsay Anderson, and Michael Ritchie. So sure, Michael Anderson's name is in there, but it's also in there with a bunch of other people. And it's kind of this weird, cryptic, everybody's heard legend of it here or there. But one of the things that makes it really cool to me and gives certain credence to like how honed the movie was and the idea was Michael Carreras, who was one of the production heads at Hammer Films, said in the encyclopedia of Hammer Films that this movie, Nessie, was the biggest disappointment of his entire life that it didn't get made. Wow. Does that like set your imagination off of like, well, how first, great- I mean, when you said all those, like the production companies, I had a feeling like it was just, it would have been a good movie. Yeah. Like a, at least entertaining and visually stimulating. And honestly, maybe like, the backstory wouldn't have been that great, but, right? You know, fun to look at. Exactly. I think that, especially at this time, I really wonder if Orca's failure played into it hmm. because of the fact you're dealing with an aquatic beast, and especially with Nessie. Not and people are like, I would have rather just been making a Loch Ness monster film. <laughs> well, you know, because Nessie isn't as anthropomorphic as like a Godzilla. Or, right. So be, having that physicality, I think they just like, oh, it's just a sea monster. Jaws mm-hmm. is just a sea monster. Blah. I honestly question it. Now, there was a longstanding rumor that the Loch Ness monster prop for Nessie was reused by Tiryoshi Nakano as the dragon for the film Princess from the Moon in 1987. No credence to that at all. They're, usually Toho is really clear about reusing uh, stuff, adapting it, adding new heads and everything. There's no documentation of it, but it's just a longstanding rumor that I thought was kind of interesting. And my last, Have you seen this movie? The Princess from the Moon? Yeah. I've seen basically every kaiju film I've ever imagined. Mm, sorry. 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 I don't want to shoot you down. I don't want to be overly aggressive. <laughs> Actually, I might be able to even show you a still from it that might show you that you've seen it on our screen while you were half asleep. Do you see the monster? Yes. Does it look familiar? No. Oh, uh, I've always thought Must that have it have already looks, been asleep. <laughs> yeah. It looks kind of like one of the Skeksis from the Dark Crystal, I've always thought, in the shape of its head. So it's like a, a Skeksy had sexy with Godzilla. <laughs> but we'll move on. My last note on Michael Anderson. In 2012, he received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Directors Guild of Canada. So That's nice. Isn't it, though? It's like none of your movies were good enough to get an award of their own, but hey. <laughs> Overall, your body of work. Yeah. If we just kind of hodgepodge it into this Frankensteinian mess, there was enough to get one award. Now, the writing process is just a joke. I already talked about Robert Town doing the rewrites, but who wrote the original stuff? Two of the most prolific Western spaghetti Western writers of all time, Luciano Vincenzoni and Sergio Donati. Now, I love these guys both because they worked on two movies that I do enjoy quite a bit. Raw Deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I get not a Spaghetti Western, 1986. But then they did For a Few Dollars More mm. and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm. Death Rides a Horse for Vincenzoni. And then Donati also did Once Upon a Time in the West. Like, dude. So you go from this dank, ball sweat, and dirt desert to the Arctic Ocean. Yeah, but you can kind of see like the similarities between, you know, spaghetti westerns and this film. The fucking revenge film? Yeah. Yes. It's awesome. <laughs> this <laughs> makes complete sense. I want that fucking orca to have a poncho. And this <laughs> is the perfect movie. And a hat. Oh, yeah. He needs a hat. And that gets us into our next big point. Music. Ennio Medicone. Oh my God, the entire Man Without a Name trilogy. Like just that alone, I could just stop and people would have to give respect. But here's a really interesting fact. At age 87, he was the oldest winner of a competitive Academy Award at the time The Hateful Eight came out in 2015. Later got surpassed by James Avery, who won at age 89 in 2018. But the important thing is, is that for a glistening three-year period, he was the guy swinging his... Okay, for a listening two-year period, I just did math again in my head. (laughs) But you can see, just magnificent. And if you've never seen the other ones in the Man Without a Name trilogy, everybody always talks about the good, the bad, and the ugly. But you've heard this. When I'm humming to our daughter to put her asleep, I hum basically four songs, (laughs) which is the Misty Mountains from The Hobbit, uh, the original 1977 version, then... The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, A Fistful of Dollars, and For a Few Dollars More. Those themes are just perfect. And this movie, not that, not the, not as good, but still I love it. Do you love it? The sounds? Yes. The soundtrack? Absolutely. It was great. It definitely led the film 
And you know how some films can have like sound soundtracks that are like overly dramatic. I'm like, okay, calm down. Yeah. This is, you know, this is a little quaint for that. Yeah. Right. But I felt like this fit really well. I did too. And it's got a uh, kind of an unearthly quality. Like some of the vocalizations remind me a lot of the original Star Trek series with the Mm -hmm. and it just kind of has this weird ethereal nature. Mm -hmm. And it takes me back. I used to I mean, we've talked about this a bunch. I used to love the Jacques Cousteau under the sea stuff. And I would watch those videos just to death. And I'd look in those books a lot. And I really love that scape. That's why I always love snorkeling. It's just a completely different world. And so the underwater stuff in this it's a little bit barren, but it just mm-hmm. feels. Well, you have to realize it was, it's the Arctic too. So it's not like tropical. Right. <laughs> Under the sea. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, while it is barren and I, and like ethereal, I think that it captures the landscape. Well, hundred percent appropriately at least. Oh yeah. Now, did you find that the music was too similar to some of the Westerns that you'd seen? Because the comparison I could imagine being frustrating being, like I said, dry and arid versus moist and not. You know, I don't think that I had made that connection or I would have made that connection before now. So maybe if I rewatched it, rewatched it, I would have a better answer for you. But no, listening to it, I did not automatically think like, ah, Western. Right on. And so uh, I was agreeing with you because like I even though I'm a huge fan of this composer and his scores, even though I could tell you I could pick out his music over a bunch of others. Like, yeah. You know, if you play 310 to Yuma, I'm going to know the difference between that. Like, And so even with that in my mind, it was clearly delineated. So I'm glad we're on the same page. It's almost <laughs> like we're meant for each other. Mm. But Dino De Laurentiis. Our fans will probably know him best from The Silence of the Lambs. He produced that. He produced one of your husband's all-time favorite movies of all time. All time? All time. Top five all-time any genre, Conan the Barbarian. Boom. Uh, Amityville Horror, I think it was the second one. Flash Gordon, uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which everybody loves that nobody ever says negative shit about. But one of the things that's really funny, and I don't think a whole lot of people know, is that he did Manhunter before he did Silence of the Lamps because he'd already bought the rights to Thomas Harris's novel. Now, Manhunter is just Red Dragon, but bad. And it's good. <laughs> like literally the Tooth Fairy at one point uses a pump ha- action shotgun with one hand and it's just cocaine and it's the guy from CSI. We should definitely watch it someday. <laughs> and by someday, I mean right now. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Army of Darkness. I mean, basically you look at his career and it's just amazing. He did a bunch yeah. of Stephen King stuff, C- Silver Bullet, Firestarter. So if you ever you know, are looking for a deep dive to do, he's the guy. And then also produced by uh, Luciano Vincenzoni, who wrote the original draft of the script. So basically, Vincenzoni says he gets a call in the middle of the night from Dino De Laurentiis, who's tasked with, quote, find a fish tougher and more terrible than a great white. And so this guy's like, I have no fucking idea. what I'm not the fish guy. <laughs> right. And so he goes to his brother, Adriano, who actually is like really into zoology and was like, bro, bro, let me tell you, bro, killer, but fucking whales. Killer is in the name <laughs> of the whale. Like, come on. And that's why it's orca instead of giant squid or whatever. So why do you think that they used orca instead of like killer whale? So that's funny. This is a huge thing when you look at a lot of Italian cinema at this time. You'll have the same movie released under like 50 titles. Mm. It's hilarious to go on IMDb and look at the poster versus the name of the film because IMDb is really good about having a list of all the different countries that the film was released and what name it was released under at those times. But when it comes to the Italians, sometimes in Italy, it would be released multiple times. Sometimes here, it would be released multiple times under different names until they kind of just got it right. Hmm. So one of the names was Orca colon the killer whale. Does that make you more or less into it? Because I've always referred to it as Orca the killer whale. And I think that a lot of people just go Orca. Less is more. Prince, yeah, I, share. I feel like less is more. But I was just curious, like, for the tone that they were going for. Or, you know, like, some, like, with the competition of Jaws, knowing that had just come out and you were trying to, like, have this 
creature that was worse than a, a shark. Yeah. Literally, it starts off being worse than a shark. You know, so I was just curious why they wouldn't have like killer whale in the yeah. title. Well, because I think Jaws, four letters, really impactful. Right, Orca, right, four right, letters, right. Succinct. And I like that, but I just think that it, it might be the fact that we've seen movies like Free Willy mm-hmm. and whatnot that make us have kind of and like Shamu and right, right. Orcas are very well regarded, at least in our age group. So maybe back then right. it had a more negative connotation. But oh, I, that's true. Especially I've never heard a headline of an orca killing a person or anything. So right. that kind of puts it at already in like we're we're best friends forever. Let's make bracelets. <laughs> well, maybe they wanted to be like scientifically correct. I don't know. Possibly. Cinematography, J. Barry Heron. In the closing credits of the film, I don't know if you caught it, but Vincenzoni specifically wishes to acknowledge the work of J. Barry Heron, also the work of Ted Moore. The scenic shots of this movie, awesome. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, Really well done. And they got enough footage that they could integrate, I won't say seamlessly, with the footage of the orcas and the tanks. No. But I mean pretty fucking good by comparison you know like it's kind of quaint by our standards but at the time like i still think it's good now shall i get into nicknames let's do it oh you haven't listened to the show or been on in a while because we do nicknames of nickname where we rhyme nickname with other things that rhyme with nickname like big name prick name nickname so it's okay you'll you know it's fine it's no big deal (laughs) You've got to warn me. I sh- well, I mean, I thought that maybe you would support me and listen to every episode. I am sorry. The oh, only time that oh. I have time to listen to anything is in the car. And I'm definitely not listening to this with a roar in the car. Yeah. But fucking this and but fucking that and fisty fisty. Yeah. Okay, anyway, Richard Harris played <laughs> Captain Nolan. A lot of people are going to know him. King Arthur in Camelot. Marcus Aurelius from Gladiator. He was in The Count of Monte Cristo. Patriot Games, Unforgiven. But the one that I had to be like, hey, hey, babe, did you, know, did you notice him? Uh, he was Dumbledore in Harry Potter's 1 and 2 before he Dumbledied no. and got uh, passed on. But I mean, this guy is a lot to unravel in this movie because there are moments where he's great. And there are moments where he's an abomination to screen acting. Where in his career is this movie? Like, so he ended up having a pretty significant career resurgence when he got older. I mm-hmm. think that's basically right, him being right. typecast as like, you know, the old man. So at this point, I would literally put it pretty fairly in the middle. Really? Uh, which is funny because he's middle aged. I think he was 46 when they filmed this. Yeah. It's an, I mean, I, I was looking for an excuse for the mediocre acting. I mean, like when he's on, it's great. And then I'm like, what in the world? Yeah, some of it's just some parts are too big and some parts I'm like, what? And I don't know if that's just like a director being like, hey, be stoic, Mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. strong, like manly man. But like the man in the sea. Yeah, this dude, is he is definitely not any of the top three characters from Jaws. Like, no, no. And that's, you know, maybe part of the problem, too. Yeah. I mean, if you put Robert Shaw in this film, I mean, Jesus Christ, that's this movie I don't care what you say. That is like a nearly perfect movie for me. And of uh, an interesting aside, Robert Shaw's son does a killer impression of his dad doing the speech that Quint does in Jaws. <laughs> That's awesome. You should check it out if you haven't seen it. It's a quick Google search and you will be very happy you made the choice. So we're going to call him Dumbledore, right? Sure. Cool. And oh, here's an interesting one. If I'm not mistaken... I might be wrong. Dork means whale's penis. Is mm-hmm. that true? I, that's what I've always heard. I can't corroborate that. I mean. Dumbledork. That, there you go. Okay. Anyway, we had Charlotte Rampling as Rachel Bedford. Now, there's a movie of hers we have to talk about. In Max Mon Amour, she plays a woman who has an adulterous affair with a chimpanzee. <laughs> wow. She be fucking a chimpanzee. I mean chimpanzees are apes right and they're our closest relatives so i mean you can't be too harsh with her yeah maybe we could only be like six percent harsh <laughs> like the variants of our dna right yeah there you go <laughs> maybe maybe it's underage i don't know how old chimpanzees get but anyway she said quote i generally don't make films to entertain people that's super weird <laughs> i choose the parts that challenge me to break through my barriers a need to devour, punish, humiliate, or surrender seems to be a primal part of human nature, and it's certainly a big part of sex. To discover what normal means, you have to surf a tide of weirdness. Oh, she... She, she be fucking with him. She is into some weird things, for sure. That, 
Oh, I love it. I didn't become an actress to entertain people. (laughs) (laughs) I just became an actress to challenge myself. If my audience doesn't have a puckered butthole the whole time. And explore my sexuality. (laughs) On screen, right? (laughs) Hey, maybe that's the way she could get off. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's how she had to do it. There are worse fetishes. So... (laughs) I wanted to call her Dr. Chimp Fucker, but I don't know if that's too aggressive. Oh, I can't do that, but you can. Okay, well, let's call her Doc, maybe. Yeah. Okay, maybe that's better. Uh, we had Will Sampson as Umalak. Everybody's going to know him from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. At that time, he had just been working as a rodeo like bronco buster and clown, and he got recruited after being 20 years in this industry because he was that's like, hey, we need a giant Native American. You're interested? And he's like, <laughs> okay. But he later <laughs> did movies like he was in Poltergeist 2 as Taylor the medicine man. So very much typecast. Yeah. But little known fact, he's actually a very accomplished artist. And his work was even shown in the Gilcrease Museum and the Philbrook Museum of Art. So maybe we look at that. It's awesome. Yep. After you Google Robert Shaw's son and the (laughs) fucking dragon from the princess of the moon. This is your next stop. So, I mean, we could just call him the guy from one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I don't have a clever one for him. Cool. The, the artist. There I we don't go. Know. Bo Derek was Annie. Now, at this point, many people credit this film as being her feature film debut. She'd previously been a fashion model. She actually had done the film acting for a movie called Fantasies in 1973. Didn't get released until 1981. A lot of people are going to know her as the MILF from Tommy Boy. But I wanted to tell you about how she and our boy, Captain... Coco Beware, the Dumbledork, how their paths cross later in life. Mm. Tarzan, the Ape Man from 1981. She's in it. Richard Harris is in it. He is nominated for a Golden Razzie for Worst Actor. Yes. (laughs) So we thought this was bad. I could only imagine what Tarzan, the Ape Man is like. Now, going to the rest of the characters, not really a whole lot to talk about. Robert Carradine, who plays Ken, he was in Revenge of the Nerds. So if he looks familiar, that's why. The other part I'd like to mention, Yaka and Nepo were the orcas that were used in the film. Nepo lived until 1980, so not terribly long after this. But then Yaka lived 20 more years after this movie came out. So cool. That is awesome. Now, No animals were harmed in the making of this movie. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Heavy stuff, heavy stuff. Whoa, hey. Like when the shark gets it, you're like, yeah, fuck you, shark. Because you the- know it's fake. Well, and not only just that, but like you're like, yeah, you have victimized the human race and I will take <laughs> vengeance upon you. And this, it's like innocent whale being innocent. Mm. Dude, is such a Western movie where it's like the bandolero who's uh, the widower. So mm-hmm. shall we just get into the new modified sleigh by play where we basically just talk about the high points? Yeah. Cool. So. The movie starts out, blah, blah, blah. There's a guy diving and there's a shark and the dude's scared of the shark. And then Killer Whale's like, G-doosh! awesome, right? If you're trying to be like, hey, Jaws isn't shit compared to Orca, your opening scene being your Orca killing a great white is kind of dope. Absolutely. And then Dumbledore, he's just like, what animal could do this? Right? What? Like he'd never seen a killer whale before or right. an Orca. At that point, yeah. Right. And he, I love how, like, he knows so, like, he has these weird, like, wily presuppositions, but then doesn't know, but is able to become an expert mm. and then isn't an expert and then becomes an expert because of a book. Right. But the shark that was used in that scene was actually caught by famous shark wrangler Rob Taylor. Just thought I'd give some <laughs> aplomb to that individual. But you're right. Basically, he starts talking to the professor who does a voiceover and, you know, at a lecture, basically giving you all, like, the used car salesman speech about why orcas are tits. Right. right? Did you, you Which was know. really informational. Yeah, right? I was like, oh, the more you, oh, look at that. It's a whale fetus. So when I see a whale fetus in five minutes, I'll know exactly what it is. I'll, I'll know that the whale isn't pooping to death. Right. But, or it was in its intestines or something weird. Exactly. So the walls of her classroom were blurred out and you and I were both like, I wonder what class this actually was. Like if it was a trigonometry class, they just repurposed for this one scene. But whatever. So originally they were hunting the shark and they're like, oh, we can get so much money for the shark meat. Mm -hmm. And then they decide, oh, well, we could hunt a whale and we can get money for the whale. So he takes like the overnight course with Dr. Chimpfucker and thinks he's totally capable to go out and do this. Right. Even though she warns him, like, you are not going to be able to catch this animal without killing multiple, you know, 
in the process. And the way that she, like the kind of doom and gloom she has, you could tell he's like, okay, Toots, you're way overreacting. But it's like, she's the goddamn soothsayer of the movie. She's like, everything is avoidable if you listen to the woman. So, I mean, I don't know what the moral of the story is because I would never (laughs) listen to a woman ever. I don't know what that's all about. Mm -hmm. So, he goes off on the quest to find his whale and he uses his tranquilizer on the harpoon. And I love there's a scene where he and Bo Derek are talking about how much tranquilizer do you put in the harpoon? Right. And he's like, I don't know. It's twice as big as a shark. So I guess fucking do that. No science, no expertise. It was just a really concise job of showing that like he's he completely know. ill-equipped. Right, right. He might think he knows, but this is braggadocio and balderdash. Mm-hmm. So he uses that same harpoon. And I really think this is a very effective bit of storytelling. And it kind of goes to like the Western, like the guy who gets a scar on his face, like kind of a Jonah Hex type thing. He shoots the harpoon. It clips the dorsal fin of the killer whale. The oh, male. Exactly. I think we just want to call him the bull. They referred to him that a couple of times. I liked it. Sure. It clips him. So his dorsal fin has a chip out of it and then stabs his wife in the fucking dome. And it's like a terrible injury. They reel her in. They hang her from a horse. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Before, before they do that, she tries to kill herself by, exactly. by running herself into the prop of their boat. It's gnarly. While crying. Yeah. The plumes of blood coming out and the sound is awful. And he's like, oh, that sound, like it sounds almost human. And you're like, yeah, you fuckhead. It's <laughs> fucking, it's a mammal. Right. This is what the lady who's having sex with that chimp over there off stage. <laughs> She was warning you about. So they hoist up the the female who's just torrential blood. Yeah. And it's really effective, too, because you can't really see the blood on the black. But where it's on the white, I mean, it's just basically a a black and red Mm -hmm. whale. Yeah. Who just has a miscarriage on the deck. And it's just like fucking kidding me. And then you see the fin and you see the eye. And it's just like you totally get exactly what's going on. And it's clearly all fake. It's like it's little puppets and mm-hmm. stuff. But I think it's really effective. It sets a very good morally complex dynamic where you know, have a guy who just made a fuck up, but it's a terrible fuck up. And it's one of those things of like, you can't reconcile that, right? Absolutely. I really liked how they transposed images on the whale's eye, like the, the male or the bull looking at his partner. Yeah. And and then also capturing the obviously the the captain or the not yeah captain right yeah. and having an imprint basically of this person now like seared into his brain and was like oh this is not going to be good yeah his brain that's already established as being very complex right and if I'm not mistaken a couple scenes later they talk about how Herman Melville once said that if God comes to Earth he's coming in the form of a whale so it's like that tells you the kind of you know, and they they address the fact that the intelligence isn't a one for one. It might be smarter in other ways. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And I really I love quoting you when you watch movies. This is you. That looks really fake, but sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this quarantine sure is boring. I wish we had something to play. Who wrote this shit? Sounds like it's time to bust out. Don't get stabbed. The party game where you get to kill your family and friends. For pretend. Ugh, I wish I could kill you. What? I said I wish I could kill time playing this with you. Where can people get a copy? Amazon, where you get literally everything else. So they don't have to go to a store? They don't even have to put pants on. Disclaimer, this has been an unpaid ad because we like this game and our friend Jordan, and you should too. So then the captain's on land and we were both too frustrated to not pause the movie and talk about this. How Captain Dumbledore has his beanie on sideways, <laughs> his toque where he has a tuft of hair no. and one ear sticking out. Yeah. Oh my God, it was really bad. I was so distracted. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about the I scene. I was like, is he trying to look cool? Is this what they think fishermen look like? I'm so confused. Is he like drunk and he put it on <laughs> right. wrong? And so this is where the chimp lady is like, hey, you shouldn't have done that thing. And he's like, oh, come on. Like the thing happened because, oh, duh. This whole scene happens after a fucking funeral march starring orcas where the bull pushes its mate to the shore. And I was like, it's just fake fins on water, but I feel something here. Mm -hmm. And so literally staring at the corpse. He's like trying to, he's like bargaining. I was like, oh, well, the must have been a really crazy tide last night. And she's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> he pushed her corpse onto yep. land to send you a message. You idiot. Again, this moral of the story is lost on me about women being right. I don't know. 
That's my new character I'm working on. <laughs> the guy who doesn't appreciate women. So one other thing that you might appreciate in the film, I don't know if you remember this from watching Jaws, but that boat is called the Orca. orca. Yep. So just thought I'd point that out. From this scene, you get the Orca. And wait, wait, can we say what the name of this boat was? <laughs> Bumpo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, too it much. Kind of reminds me of Bizarro compared to Superman, where it's like, <laughs> I'm good natured, but bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was too much. So I'm sorry. No, no, please. <laughs> it, it's it, the people needed worth, to know. Yes. <laughs> people deserve answers, damn it. <laughs> so then the orca goes to the cove, harbor, whatever you want, and sinks three boats. And people are like, what? Like, bro, you got to get the fuck out of here. And he's like, I already paid my rent for a month, motherfucker. I'm rent staying. ain't cheap. And he's also like, my boat's fucked up from, <laughs> from all this shit. So you got to fix it. And the guy, the union guy is like, I'm going to fix it immediately. You're getting to the top of the list, sir. I've never heard somebody threaten somebody with good customer service like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'll fix your boat. And the guy's like, okay, then. Then he has another stare down with the whale and you have this like weird overlay of a car accident. At this point, you still don't know. Uh, you're like, oh, what's why is he seeing a car when he sees a whale? So weird. Foreshadow. How do you foreshadow something that happened years ago? Whatever. I guess you foreshadow a reveal. But whatever. Uh, so Umalak is then introduced and he says something I thought was actually kind of beautiful. I, I quoted it. I'm not going to get this as a tattoo. Don't worry. Times have changed. Even our gods dance to a new song. That's remarkably deep for a movie that's this dumb. <laughs> well, he was kind of just saying like, yeah, you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> like my people would have done this to ward off this orca, but you fucked. Yeah. He's like, we would have pissed on a, a stuffed animal filled with pig carcasses or some weird yeah. thing. And that would have warded it off. But he's basically like, he's like, this- great. So you can do that for me. He's like, nah, nah, this whale's got <laughs> GPS and it's brain dog. It's going to find you. It's a heat seeking sperm whale. <laughs> so Dumbledore sets up a scarecrow on this dock landing. And he's like, he has this look of smug satisfaction. I'm like, yeah, this stupid whale isn't going to, it's not going to get me, dog. And then the stupid whale's like, you want to see how stupid I am? Suck these nuts and then blows up everything. That was crazy. So it basically ruptured a, a pipe <laughs> that caused a huge explosion to what was it? I think it was like an oil or gas explosion. Yeah, that I think went it to like was. A, an oil refinery of some sort. On so the basically hill. now the entire town is screwed. Yeah. And so did you like how they transposed the same whale jump three times using chroma key onto the same ocean? Yeah. Adorable. And they did that in the beginning of the movie. And, and it was the same whale yeah, no, I know. horizontally <laughs> jumping at itself. <laughs> on its axis. Oh, the- God. The symmetry was kind of lovely, but yeah. Basically, if they were mad that there were a couple boats broken, this is like the world has ended. And they did a decent enough job of just making it look like the whale was just kind of thrashing and it wasn't like deliberately like, oh, those are pipes. I know exactly what's going to happen and I'm going to hit this lantern. Did you feel like that? I've gone back and forth. In watching it as a kid, I thought like that was a too smart whale. And then watching it this time, I was like, eh, you know, he's just crashing into shit. Uh, Okay. You thought it was too smart? Yeah. I I thought that, I mean, I don't know if he knew specifically that it was like the pipeline, but he clearly purposely like broke the the pipes. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I don't like the way he just rattled the like the desk and made a, a like a lantern fall mm-hmm. off. I don't know that he can necessarily see the lantern. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to like pull back the dumbness a little <laughs> bit, but yeah, it's a problem. And so then the doctor who hates him, but then also kind of oddly loves him, ends up in a tent with him. And this is where you get like, oh, he's the asshole captain with a heart of gold because he's got an excuse. And what's his excuse? His wife and unborn child Mm -hmm. were also killed by a drunk diver, a driver, not a diver. That's very different. (laughs) (laughs) It's a scuba guy from the beginning who is like hiding from the shark. Sorry. And so the plot twist is the shark was the good guy who was trying to get revenge. (laughs) Uh, Drunk driver. So like she was on the way to the hospital by herself and someone hit her and killed her. Both of them. So it has deeply affected him, obviously, as it would anyone. So he can kind of now relate to this whale or orca 
that he pretty much did the same thing to. Yeah. So, I mean, I almost wish that this is a, this is one of those things where it almost gets it right. Like it's an interesting storyline, a little convenient, obviously, for mm -hmm. the narrative. But the thing that makes it interesting is his quest for revenge. Did he ever feel that thirst to murder the drunk driver or was he able to logically reconcile this is somebody who made a mistake? And that's the one thing I think that he wished he touched on where he like gets it. Right. <sighs> yeah. I... <sighs> it's tough, right? It is hard to say because I, I like that there is that delineation of like, OK, this is the difference between man and beast. One can rationalize. Maybe the other can't. Maybe they just see red. Maybe they just see like I have to have revenge. Whereas humans, we can kind of emotionally go through the process of forgiving and you know but you're i would say you're right yeah i want him to be savage right that's the right. more compelling story is that he has to accept and atone and go like look i'd want the revenge right i just and that's what compels him to go because at this point he doesn't agree to go out in the ocean because mm -hmm. it's very accepted everybody's like he didn't break your boat because that orca wants you on that ocean right and he's like nah, i'm not doing it right so you i wish that this is the point that made him get there but he goes for another reason why is that <laughs> It involves his sister who already had a bum leg, which is that's the funniest part to me is it's like, I didn't fuck up your leg enough. So I'm coming back for more. Taking a bite at you. Yeah. He bites <laughs> off Bo Derek's leg after breaking their house and have, creating a slip and slide into his mouth. Did you like it? I did. It's a hokey miniature, but I really love it. And I love that you see him like swimming off with the like a prosthetic, like yes. clearly prosthetic leg. <laughs> yeah. But. It and was good. I love that they're like throwing the like net to her and she can't climb. No, no. God forbid she do that with her upper body. That's fine. No, they have to pull her. Drag me. She's this like frail, beautiful woman. And oh, man, it's a good one. So after the. Maybe she was on painkillers. Okay, maybe. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'm just trying. I don't know. So one of the things that I think is really funny is, did you catch that the whale's supersonic screech broke her wine glass? Yes. So silly, but adorable. And then <laughs> the team just goes off to get revenge because that's what you do. And there's a little voiceover and they almost do a depth charge. And Do Dr. Chimpanzee intercourser is like, no, smack. I thought that was. <laughs> and throws it onto their own boat. <laughs> like, you're supposed to be the smart one, you idiot. <laughs> But the best part of this whole movie, I take back if I said something else was better earlier, was when the whale decides to go the rock and does the just bring it with his tail. Like, oh, come on, you honky bitch. Let's go toe to toe with the great one, even though I don't have toes because I'm a whale. So they're going. He picks off the nerd just who's on a sail. Did you <laughs> like that death where he's just like, ah, <laughs> I did. I was like, oh, this is what this movie needed. Just silliness and then when he picks off paul who's just surrounded by ice that one's cute and then basically they beach on the iceberg whatever mm -hmm. and umalak gets crushed by the ice i all it's missing is a really good sound effect i've talked about on the show many a time that the made for tv version of the shining is like the best thing ever <laughs> because the one dude dies with a croquet mallet being like Mark! and so if umalak <laughs> did the same thing like i'd be so about it <laughs> But it's just kind of sad. And you're like, oh, well, Aww. he's uh, he. It, what frustrates me about him is he's such a byproduct, you know, right? Like he isn't a, a direct line of violence. It's like he didn't have to die for multiple reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and so how does the movie end? So Doc and Dumbledore are on the ice. He slips and falls down, a, you know, hill. I don't know what you call it. Iceberg. And the whale pushes him on a chunk of ice into the, you know, out in the middle of the ocean, not uh, in the ocean, but I don't know what. What I really want is for Mr. Narwhal to come out and be like, bye, buddy, hope you find your dad. Yeah, pretty much. Because he's like literally on a little chunk like, of ice. Yeah, like a float tube of ice. Right. It's so funny. And it's not in the middle of the ocean, but it's like he's in the middle of the iceberg, yeah. the ice patch, I guess. So he can't like jump to another piece of ice. He's kind of stuck. And did you find it inconsistent? So when they're pursuing the whale, he's like, ah, that whale's going to get stuck under all that ice because he's dumb and he won't be able to come up and breathe. Meanwhile, this same dude is like gadding huge holes in the ice with his shotgun. <laughs> like the whale can breathe there now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, 
There's a lot of logical gaps at this point in the movie, so I can see what you mean. Next, I guess, just more so, he is on the ice. Doc throws him his gun, which I... <laughs> it kind of looked like it hit him in the face. Yes. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Take that, nerd. I, I kind of felt like I put myself in that situation. I was like, Jake would have been screwed because I am a terrible throw. Yeah. And the would whale have, would have shot me with the gun you threw <laughs> it to it. It would have gone in the water for sure. So I'm like, well, I mean, if it hit him in the face, at least he has the gun. Anyway, so... You know, the whale comes up and like makes this w- weird noise. I don't know. It's like he's taunting him, I guess. Kind of, yeah. And Dumbledore has the gun pointing at the whale, doesn't shoot him though. And the the doc is like, get him. Like, just do it already. Yeah, right. And the, the whale. The one who's like there to advocate for the whale. <laughs> right, right. right. The public defender who's like, this whale is a good guy, really. So the whale comes up slams his body onto the ice and creates another slip and slide. So basically it's a Titanic situation. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he, he is holding on to the top of the ice. Just you know, then the whales just wait him out. Be like, you're going to slip. Yeah. And he's like, I'll never let go. Jeff. <laughs> so down he comes into the water. The orca is circling him. Yeah. What do you think about the way he kills the guy? I remember seeing this for the first time and being like, oh, he's not dead. Oh, he's dead? Right. Yeah. Do you want to explain? Sure. He uses his tail like a trebuchet (laughs) and flings this motherfucker into an ice rock and crushes his head. And he's like bloody and then just like rolls into the water. And I I remember being a kid and thinking like, oh, well, now the whale is going to kill him. Clearly that wasn't- Like biting him or something, right? Something more vicious. And I think that there's a certain eeriness to the fact that he just lets him die. And like lets him like slowly drown. Like it's dark. Okay, but did you when he was first in the water when he slipped in? I was like, okay, first of all, hypothermia has got to be sitting like taking a toll here. Oh, you think he's going to be frozen in the ice like Captain America? <laughs> no. Oh, sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> no, I'm just saying like I thought that was going to play into it somehow, or you know, I don't know that he was going to live. Yeah. No, that oh. like he was just going to let him drown basically like just because yeah. he kept on circling i'm like okay what well, come on like i it would have been cheesy if it would just like he would have slipped right into his mouth and then he would have died like i get that they're yeah. trying to build a little bit of suspense for the whole movie it's coming to this point but he was like circling him for so long i was like okay is is he just waiting for him to freeze to death yeah. like is he just waiting for him to like give up basically and just be like i'm sorry i'm just gonna kill myself yeah so while the <laughs> tail <laughs> tossing was a bit cheesy i was just like okay at least he did something yeah you know i agree i think that the what i would like best is if when he goes under the ice and is assumed to have killed himself him being the whale that he would have dragged the guy with him showing that the whole eye for an eye makes the whole world blind like this path of revenge was going to kill us both Mm -hmm. and that was always the path and Mm -hmm. it's like i'm willing to drown myself to drown you Mm -hmm. i think it's a little bit more poetic right right and especially or like pulled him under with him right yeah that's what i mean yeah Yeah. and because as i'm watching it this time and i know in the current form like i'm almost into it right i think that it's it's like a b minus and it could have been better if you're going to keep this ending with the whole like him sinking by himself and not mm-hmm. being touched, I would really like the hello darkness, my old friend. <laughs> that would make it fun. But I watched you watch the ending because basically that's what you do with this movie at this point. And watching your reaction to the suicide is I like I feel like everybody's reaction of like, wait, but why? What is he killing himself? Yeah. And you tried very, to like bargain, right? I was very confused. I was like, OK, so. I felt like he was just swimming off. Like I didn't like a show. Fuck this place. I'm out. (laughs) Well, no, like, okay, I finished my work. You know, I'm going back to my pod or whatever. But I kind of had to like question you where I was just like, okay, I see that they're showing ice. Like there's no holes in the ice. Like he's not getting through. I was like, but how long can whales hold their breath? Like, I, I, I don't know if. I did not assume that that's what he was doing. Yeah. It definitely makes it like a more poetic ending. Yeah. Having him, you know, just be like, there's, I'm, it's nothing is worth living now. I've had my revenge and Mm -hmm. I'm still without my mate and my child. So 
I am done myself. And it's kind of interesting, especially if you're trying to basically, if your thesis is this animal's better than Jaws, the only animal that can kill this animal is itself. Right. There's something kind of cool there. I, I like that. And like, it's not as though this is his only recourse. You know, this isn't Shane where he's already mortally wounded and he just goes off. Yeah. This is, he is fucking fine. Yeah. Basically, yeah. he has a chunk out of his dorsal fin and that's it. Right. And he's just like, you know what? Like you said, I have nothing less to live for. My purpose is fulfilled. I'm Woody in Toy Story 4 trying to just figure out what the fuck to do. And unlike that movie... He kills himself. Mm-hmm. That movie would be way different if it was just Forky looking at Woody with his drawstring tied around his neck in a noose. Wow, babe. I don't like that ending at all. We're going to move on. So the movie, in a nutshell, is this a classic, a trashic, or a tragic, in your opinion? <sighs> I, I knew you'd have a tough time with this. I, I would say a trashic. It's like, I don't know. It's not. I think if the acting would have been better. Yeah. It would be a classic in my eyes. That's what holds it back the most in my opinion. Uh, Yeah. Because, I mean, in all, I really liked this movie. I enjoyed it. I actually maybe enjoyed it more than Jaws. At the very least because you hadn't seen it and it was new, right? Right, right. And there wasn't just like such a buildup about it, you know, because I didn't see Jaws until I was much older. And so, I don't know. It was a, I didn't feel like it had been done over and over and over. So it was something yeah. new or new animal, I guess, that I hadn't seen um, portrayed like this. So I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. I would rent it again for $3.99. I would suggest doing that. If you are listening to the episode and you're like, I have never seen this movie, nor do I care to see this movie. But And I think it's worth it to splurge on the HD versus the regular. Like I'm, I'm usually not that guy, but like the scenic shots and stuff are really pretty and it's really fun. And I like that element of it too. Yeah, I, if you're watching it on a big enough screen, I would say go for it. Yeah, and to your earlier point, like if, if you start off with a premise that's so similar, right? It's it's a murderous water dwelling mm-hmm. creature. Yeah, obviously it's a derivative, but this movie like makes these great leaps and hurdles to try and do different stuff. Right. Whether it's effective or not, there's a certain subject to debate. I think if I'm going to put this as a classic, it's a low classic. If it's a trashic, it's a really high trashic. Because mm-hmm. like I said, where it fails, it's fun to fail. It's got a quaintness to it. It's kind of cute. And it, it, you're rooting for the movie. Almost, right. Right. And so I don't know. I'm going to put this in the classic camp, but I completely understand putting it in trashic. I could even understand how some people think it's a tragic. If you're really like hell bent and devoted to Jaws or movies like it, of course, this is going to be frustrating. But the people who want to say that this movie just bastardizes Jaws, I'm like, okay, then what's Deep Blue Sea? (laughs) Or any shark movie from after that. Right. I just think that people... If you like it, you'll like it. And if you don't, you don't. And that's the great part about just having opinions is like, I don't have to convince you that this movie is good. And I really enjoy finding things that people like. Like That's one of the fun things. You know, I think it's pretty well accepted. Brian will tell you that I have seen way more horror movies than he has. So when I pitch movies, he's like, I don't know, what's that? And that's a great joy for me to be able to kind of try and play that game of chess of like knowing, okay, well, if I show you this, I get this, this, and this to talk about on the show. And you see, I watch you more than I watch the mm-hmm. movie. And I love it. I think it's so exciting. And that's like the great part. Like I wa- I showed our kid, the Hobbit from 1977. I spent the entire movie watching her react. And it was like the greatest thrill to me. <laughs> and so you are a great movie watching mate and i thank you for enjoying this movie i'm very relieved that you liked it because i was it would have it would have wounded me somewhere if you didn't like it because i like this movie so much i i actually like you know i this is a movie that i actually enjoyed that you showed me (laughs) it's a rarity but sometimes i pull it off yep way to go babe awesome so we want to thank you for joining us for the first installment of beecher creature month or wait did I say it wrong? Beecher feature? That's what it was. Beecher creature feature? Oh, that's the new name. I just said right now. For the Beecher creature feature, which is basically us taking aquatic, specifically, I guess, sea monsters and just doing movies on it because it's summer, dude. Like, let's put on board shorts. Do you have anything you want to say before we let these goons go? Uh, slash you later. So for both of us, I'm happy to say my name is Jake, reminding you to go out there and do something you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. Gonna have to do the mouth fart because Brian's not here. (gasps) 
So, cool thing, we are deviating from the hidden tracks for the first time, which is odd, because I am the rule maker, and we all know how insistent I am on following the rules, right? Because I'm stalwart, and that's just, I can't even say it with a straight face. I do what I want because I can. Anyway, my buddy Mike has a podcast called Fort Arawak. You can find it at F-O-R-T-A-R-A-W-A-K podcast.com. This is one of his short stories called The Move. He does these. Some of them are a series. This one stands alone. Honestly, super cool stuff. Please just go over there. Let them know that you found them through us and just appreciate the fact that somebody's putting out cool content for free. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about podcasts is so often you have people who are being so put upon to click something and really all most of us are trying to do is just create content to make people happy I mean, I can't speak for Mike, but I can speak for myself. Like, if I was 13 and I found our show, I would feel like almost a hole if that. Probably more, I'd probably feel more like a butthole because I was a 13-year-old with tits. But my point being, it's so cool to put out content that you would want. And I could easily see how fulfilling that is. And a project like this, I'm honestly kind of sad I didn't steal his idea before doing this show. Because editing 10 minutes compared to an hour and a half sounds fucking legit. But anyway, enjoy. Fort Arawak and the short story The Move. The Move by Michael Martin. If I never see another moving box, oh, it'll be too soon. Jade sits down and pours himself a tumbler of whiskey. He leans back into the sofa, surrounded by moving boxes. Oh, God. I'm a little more than halfway done. Oh, fuck this. I'm taking a shower. I am done for the day. He gets out of the shower and towels off, continues to sip his whiskey, and walk past the bedroom closet when his attention is drawn to a box. Huh? I thought I'd already done everything in here. Jade walks over to the box... It's a small wooden shoebox with a lock on it, and do not open carved on top of it. Well, this sure ain't one of mine. Maybe the previous owner left it? Man, that's creepy. He puts the box on top of the sink and goes to the kitchen to make dinner. Pops open the freezer and pulls out a DiGiorno pizza. Turns on the oven and sips his whiskey while waiting for it to heat up. Then he puts in the pizza. Huh? Jade hears a sound, a knocking coming from the bedroom. He walks over to the room. Nothing. Oh, great, now I'm hearing shit. Jade turns to go back out, but notices the box in the bathroom. It's fallen to the floor. Must be what I heard. Jade picks up the box and brings it with him into the kitchen and places it on the counter. He finishes the whiskey with one last swig and cracks open a beer. I've had a long day. I'm celebrating this move. Fuck it. The smell of pizza wafts through the house. Jade fiddles with his beer bottle impatiently while he waits. He looks at the box and has a thought. You know, I know how to get this open. He drunkenly hobbles into the garage looking for a bolt cutter. He rummages through his tools and finds it. It's a large, rusted bolt cutter with cracked handles. (laughs) Wow, this thing has seen better days, huh? Oh well, it'll get the job done. Jade goes to the kitchen and finds the box on the floor next to the counter. I must have knocked it over on my way out. He puts the bolt cutter on the lock and squeezes hard. (sighs) Shit! That's tough. Looks like I made a little ding. Alright, let's try it again. This time, Jade puts the box on the floor and holds one handle down with his foot and pushes all of his weight with his two hands on the top handle. Come on! The lock breaks, and so does the bolt cutter. Jade's hand slips and catches the sharp metal cutting deep into his hand. The box goes flying across the room, and Jade falls face-first onto the tile floor. Shit! Oh, that 
fucking stings. Ah, oh, god damn it. Fuck, I'm bleeding everywhere. He takes off his shirt and wraps it around his hand, then goes to the bathroom. Jade washes off his hand while the oven timer goes off. Damn it! Shit timing. Hold on, hold on, I'm coming. Stupid pizza. Jade bandages up his hand as fast as he can and runs to the kitchen to turn off the timer in the oven. Please don't be burnt, please don't be burnt. Oh, good. Finally, some luck. Success. The pizza is okay. He places it on the burners to cool. Now where'd that box go? Jade walks over to the box and picks it up. He opens the lid. Nothing. It's empty. Inside the box are scratches all along the seam of the lid. It's just a scratched up old box. Eh, Maybe something fell out of it when it went flying. Jade kneels down and checks under the cabinets. Uh, I'm not seeing anything. Just then, something darts past in his peripherals. Ah, great. I have a fucking mouse now. This day's going swell. Jade gets up and decides to go back and look at his hand in the bathroom. He peels back the bandages and reveals a skin flap opening like a slice of bologna on his hand. Oh, man. I really fucked my hand up. What was that? Jade runs out in the kitchen. His beer bottle is shattered on the ground and a slice of pizza is missing. Are you fucking kidding me? It's a rat! It's... It stole my fucking pizza! Just then, Jade feels a slicing on the back of his ankle. Oh, fuck! He falls on his knees in agony and can barely make out tiny footsteps. What the fuck just happened? Oh, God, my ankle! He is bleeding badly from a large gash in his Achilles tendon. Unable to put pressure on that foot, he steps on his good foot and holds onto the countertop. Once he can rest his torso, he is stricken with terror at the sight before him. A slender man standing about ten inches tall is staring at him from across the counter. He's wearing tattered black garments and long black hair. The creature lets out a shriek and darts away out of sight. Jade can't believe his eyes. It, it must be the alcohol. This... This can't be real. But his injuries are real, and he cannot deny the truth. He opened the box and let something out. Jade hobbles over to his cell phone and dials 911. Uh, hello? Hello? Yeah, uh, I'm being attacked. There's a, there's a home invasion going on right now. He doesn't tell them about the small man in fear that they will not believe him. Jade gives them the address and stays on the line. Police arrive on the scene. Police, open up. No answer. The officers kick in the door and enter with weapons drawn. There's broken bottle, a pizza with a slice missing, and an old wooden box. The officers comb the house until one of them finds Jade. He is face down in the garage. Blood pools from his head, his arms, and legs. He is gone. An officer goes over and checks the pulse. We're too late. The garage is a mess. Boxes and tools are spread all over. It looks like he put up one hell of a fight. Call in forensics. We need fingerprints, DNA, the whole nine yards on this. Weeks pass, and Jade's killer is still at large. The house has gone back up on the market. Some of the belongings are auctioned off by his family. A large sofa, a nice hardwood dining room set and matching chairs, and a small wooden box with Do Not Open carved into it. (laughs) 